welcome back. Another Rogue Table Talk. I'm one of your hosts, Chad Myers, and I am here with... Mike Sherman. Yours truly. And we are we are both here with the potentially mythological <laughs> creature, Jacob. We heard a couple echoes of Jacob's voice on a couple of podcasts, but that could have been... Yeah. Equipment malfunction. If a tree falls in a forest. Right. right. <laughs> yes. And, we're here. Uh, he is, he's helping us. He helps us, like, mm-hmm. hey, spit out your gum and sit up straight. Yes. Talk into talk the into microphone. The microphone. <laughs> <laughs> things things that you like would that. think would be obvious. Yeah, that, yeah. But uh, just want to say thanks for listening. You, you guys and gals and children and adults of any age mm-hmm. have been great. Mike and I get uh, stopped in the halls, um, out in public, uh, mm-hmm. emails. Mm-hmm. Just a lot of love. So thanks for that. I guess mm-hmm. if they're not showing love. Yeah. We right. w- wouldn't know. I, we wouldn't know. <laughs> yeah. So all of you not showing love to us, step it up. <laughs> That's what Chad's saying. Yeah. Yes. So so here we are uh, in Judges. And um, last week looked at uh, Gideon. This week we're on to the next round. And, and, and Mike has a lot of great... Uh, kind of content outline stuff for us here on Abimelech. But yeah. tell us a little bit, like, it's the cycle kind of changes a yeah, little bit. Yeah, I mean, we've been talking about the cycle of uh, the people sort of are in right standing, or at least relatively in right standing with God. Things are good, peace, prosperity. They drift away. They forget the Lord. They fall into idol worship. Uh, God raises up some sort of external foe. Uh, to oppress them. Last week it was the, you know, we talked about the Midianites and it's been uh, other groups, Moabites and such, uh, in previous iterations. Uh, and then they, they, God raises up a judge uh, to defeat that foe, restore them, peace, prosperity, and then drift. And we sort of now, as, and we've been noticing this is a descending sort of cycle, it's getting worse uh, every go round. After Gideon freed the people from the Midianites, he immediately set up uh, a sort of an idol-worshipping sort of uh, situation. Uh, he made an ephod, he got, took an earring from everyone, made an ephod. And so they never really even, they skipped right over the right relationship with God. And uh, as they are sort of descending, God doesn't need an external foe or doesn't choose to use an external foe in this story story of Abimelech, they become their own foe. The foe is the enemy is within us, uh, is within them. And uh, they, in a sense, uh, oppress themselves. And uh, Abimelech is one of Gideon's sons, one of his 70, 71, whatever. Who's counting? 220, 221, whatever it takes. (laughs) Uh, And he is the son uh, via a concubine. He is... um, apparently related more closely to some of these people around Shechem, uh, where they are. Uh, and after Gideon dies, the 70 sons are apparently in charge. And, and Abimelech says to the people, hey, wouldn't you rather have me be your king? You know, I'm one of you. I'm a son of Gideon as well. And they say, yeah, that sounds great. And so he then kills, the gathers his men together, kills the, the 70 sons of, of, of Gideon. Yeah, so brothers, half brothers, right. quarter brothers, right. however many they are. concubines. I don't yes. know. The, the, and and uh, at the end of the Gideon narrative, he 
he said he only mentions Abimelech by name because remember the people say rule over us. He says no, but then he names one of his sons Abimelech, which means my father is king. Yeah. So <laughs> no, I won't be your king, and he, meet my son, my father's king. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so that's where, and this is a part of the story. Uh, you know, they're not supposed to have a king, right? And so Gideon rightly at the end of the story we looked at last week, rightly said, I'm not going to be your king. But then he basically acted as king mm-hmm. and he named one of his sons, my son, my dad is, my daddy's my dad's the king. king. It is a playground yeah. conversation. Right. My daddy is the king. My dad can beat your yes. dad up. <laughs> um, and so they sort of, in a sense, they make a deal with the devil. They kind of, they look the other way. They get the king they want, uh, whatever it might be. And, um, and that's not, so everything then is set up the way they want it, except one of the sons escapes, Jotham, Jotham escapes. And as they're all gathered together, he sort of, uh, climbs the top of a hill, um, uh, with an earshot and sort of shouts out to them, uh, this, this parable, this, this, in a sense, this fable of, uh, listen to me, citizens of Shechem, he says, this is Judges 9 and uh, verse you know, 7, so that God may listen to you. One day the trees uh, went out to anoint a king for themselves, and they said to the olive tree, be our king. But the olive tree answered, should I give up my oil, by which both gods and humans are honored, to hold sway over the trees? So that's a no. Next, the, fig, the trees said to the fig tree, come and be our king. But the fig tree replied, should I give up my fruit, so good and sweet, to hold sway over the trees? Okay, no. Verse 12, then the tree said to the vine, come and be our king. But the vine answered, should I give up my wine, which cheers both gods and humans to hold sway over the trees? Finally, all the trees said to the thorn bush, come and be our king. The thorn bush said to, thorn bush said to the trees, if you really want to anoint me king over you, come and take refuge in my shade. But if not, then let fire come out of the thorn bush and consume the cedars of Lebanon. And it's sort of, he then basically then says, Hey, listen, if you've acted honorably, if this is the way it's supposed to be, then you've got your king and it's all good. You, you know, you got the king you want. He's got the people he wants. But if not, you know, if you dealt treacherously with the guy that rescued you and killed all his sons, if, yeah. which, you know, I think he is strongly implying, then you will devour each other. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what's going to happen. Um, and... That's sort of, you made this deal, you got what you want, let's see how it plays out, and it's not going to play out well. Um, And so I kind of was, you know, let's play with the idea of, do we want our own Abimelech? Do we want to be our own Abimelech? Mm -hmm. And what prices, what does that look like in our lives, and what price are we willing to pay what distance are we willing to travel in order to do that? Yeah. And it's hard to, it would be hard to say, oh, that's very possible of me, unless I've kind of been identifying myself as one of the people of God in the book of Judges who I'm in the cycle as well uh, in some way, shape, or form. But I think that the the first question, you know, do I want my own Abimelech? And 
you know, as a representation, maybe not necessarily as a physical person, mm-hmm. do I want right. my own type of sure. Abimelech, right. but as a representation for, do I want something that maybe I'm not licensed to have or authorized to have, um, or, um, am I trying to get it in my own way mm-hmm. that maybe God's going to, maybe it's inside the boundaries of God's will. And maybe God's going to provide mm-hmm. it and let mm-hmm. it come to pass, but I want it now. Yeah, I, right. you know, I'm, I'm reminded when we took a class uh, on uh, through Jerem Bars, and he talked about you know people uh, working as pastors, and then they just they just kind of expected, well, what's going to happen for me is I'm going to keep getting promoted, I'm going to keep rising to the right. top, and you know, I, maybe I want that now. I need that now. And he, he basically, I think he quoted Francis Schaeffer and said, you know, let, let God uh, move you, right? essentially. Yeah, I think that's the thing is, okay, I should have this. I don't have it. Um, I'll make it happen. I'll, right. I'll move to make it happen. And depending on what those things are, that might be legitimate or, or, or more or less legitimate or more or less illegitimate. Often, I think, like when we, if we want to raise up our own Abimelech, what I, I'm thinking of, there, we set something up as the thing I must have. Mm-hmm. Like, if God is almost like the pardon me, Lord, from Gideon last week, if, if, you know, if I'm li- going to live the blessed life that God has for me, I need to have, I need to be in a relationship. I need to get the promotion. Uh, I need to um, get, you know, be the leader uh, I need to have a, a certain amount, um, you know, saved or whatever it might be. I set something up as the measure of what the what the life God has for me is, even though God maybe has not indicated that at all. And now I I, I equate that with that's okay. That represents God's blessing for me. Mm-hmm. And then, well, now if I if I identify it as this is the thing that represents God's blessing, then I, I, I got to do what I need to do, you know? So if it's a promotion and I got to, whatever I need to do at work to, you know, make myself look better, make somebody else look worse, maybe it's just what has to happen in order to accomplish this thing that I've set up as, as God's good. Yeah. And maybe, maybe we don't even know that's the right that's what the drivers like inside all of us under are the saying. surface. Yeah, right. I must have this. Maybe we're getting pressure from family or pressure yeah. from culture or mm-hmm. whatever. It reminds me of a little bit of the nuance between uh, like longings and expectations. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, if the people wanted somebody to rule over them, that longing, what does that mean? Like, what does that indicate versus we must have somebody like we expect to have somebody rule over us. And it, it kind of reminds me of the James four passage. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but you don't get it. You yep. kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and, and because you don't get what you expect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It reminds me of like, this is the core right. of relational tension. Right is this, I must have this and I'm not getting it. Mm -hmm. Yes. I set up my desire as the thing I should and must have. And then I do what I need to do to get it fulfilled. And as James, I mean, this 
corresponds to Judges 9, but also to James 4. It's kind of universal mm-hmm. about, you know, we set up what we think we have to have. Um, you know what this makes me think of, and it's a side note, so we don't have to go here uh, long, but it makes me think of an expectation or a must have is really a defense against disappointment and grief. Mm-hmm. If I just long for it and I desire it and it's indicating something, mm-hmm. but I don't get it, then that's going to hurt yeah. and it's going to invite me to a, a yeah. pain or uh, something like that. But if it's an expectation and a must have, I'm going to keep striving after it. I'm going to keep ma- trying to make yeah. that thing happen. Must is must. So yeah. I'm going to keep driving till I get it. Right. Yeah. Right. So yeah, it might set me up against or fortify me against disappointment and grief, but it also keeps me from vulnerability by saying, this is what I desire. I'm not sure even if I should desire it or not. And I'm not sure if I'll ever get it. Okay, Lord, that's the situation. Oh my goodness. That's yeah. As soon as you said that, that phrase, I thought, yeah, that that's the thing. That's what we don't want. It sets me up from being for, for being invulnerable. I don't have to be vulnerable. Uh, because vulnerable. I don't have to say this is what I desire, but I may not get it. Listen, I desire a king. You let me know. Let me know. Uh, lead me away from that desire if I'm not. If it, that's not what I want, uh, or you know, I want to be in a relationship, or I want, I want to get the promotion. I want to be able to get into this master's program. Whatever it is, mm-hmm. just to admit this is what I desire. I'm not sure if it's God's will. Uh, I'm just going to wait here. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to keep right. going. I'm going to keep, keep, I'm not trying, gonna keep, keep trying, keep trying, right. whatever. Right. But I'm going to, in a sense, emotionally, spiritually, wait and see maybe God has another plan. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I do wonder, too, um, the, the, par- the parable, the fable of Jotham, you know, having to deal with um, a person to lead or a person to get us what we want, to protect us or whatever, to believe in, to be our standard bearer, which is what keeps happening in Israel. They keep want, keep wanting that. And God is supposed to be all of that for them. Right. Right. Um, I do think there's a parallel for us in our culture, not right now, uh, in our political times that we are in. Yeah. Uh, and I don't think it's unique to any one person or our current president. I think we will be in these times, I think for the foreseeable future, um, because we've sort of lost the big story of a bigger picture and, you know, God in the bigger picture, our place with God, good people to go to heaven, go to heaven when they die, whatever that background cultural thing is. And so politics has become this, you know, the battle of good, good and evil in our culture plays Mm -hmm. out. Our outrage plays out largely in the political realm. And we want, we want what we think we're supposed to have in order to get what we think we should have. Mm -hmm. And Hey, if we've got to defeat some enemies along the way, um, then so be it. And like I said, I don't think it's attached to any one politician. I do think the full flavor of politics in America right now is that. Yeah. It's probably less about individuals and parties and more about just the current culture of politics. And I'm more concerned about, you know, are we, what does it mean for me to be faithful in this area? What does it mean for me to be countercultural in this area? And if in my own heart, this is just sort of the journey I've gone on over the past number of years, I'm, I'm, I'm less political than I used to be. Yeah. 
in the affections of my heart because I I think I was setting up all these different things as the Yabimelech I needed in order to feel like, you know, we're on the right path or the good things are going to happen or whatever. And I think that the thing that happens here, um, and we see it in this story, like who we are becoming spiritually, emotionally, in order to get the thing we want is actually way more important than getting or not getting the thing that we want. Yeah, it's more about the choices we're making along the way, as C.S. Lewis talked about. Mm -hmm. The choices are uh, creating a person that will exist in the future that I'm making right now. And I think that's uh, a really good kind of just pause for us to say, yeah, it's, it's less about uh, you see the shift. You see the shift in losing kind of the, the meta-narrative overarching North America um, where Judeo-Christian values were the predominant right. standard. Whether everybody lived it yeah. or not, that it was, was the backdrop. Right. Um, and then that shifted like a landslide, like very, very quickly. And that's no, that was, it's no longer the backdrop, predominant backdrop anymore. So when you lose... In, in any sense, when you lose an overarching kind of unifying theme, or even it might have been disunifying mm-hmm. for some, but it was a mm-hmm. theme, right. uh, then something else has to be supreme. Mm-hmm. And now I think what we've done is people want to make the political realm yeah. the supreme realm. Yeah. Um, and and it right. can't hold it, yeah. is, which is what you see. Nothing can hold the place of God. And if we put anything in that place, it will destruct. Right. And yeah. it will combust, yeah, and you right. see it—the what, what, what it's doing, and and what we as Christians can fall into. And I think my encouragement to me, you know, more than uh, anything for the church, is to rise above, mm-hmm. be in and through. Don't be unpolitical where we're not involved right. in it at all. Yeah, but but somehow put it in its proper place mm-hmm. in yes. the in the system's order. Right. Yeah. How can I be a a fruitful part of the political order in America in 2019 while being a faithful follower of Christ and a member of God's family and loving uh, my brothers and sisters who are on the other side of the political spectrum. You know, what unites us is far more important and permanent and greater than what divides us. And our culture, you know, sort completely ignores or dismisses what unites us. And so if we're just looking outward, all we have is division. Yeah. And us and them and anger and outrage. And I do think it's super easy to get caught up into that as a, as a believer, because we're, you know, we are impacted by our culture. And I, I do think what's, you know, there is a little part of the parable that speaks to us as to what are we setting up as our Abimelech politically or a certain law or a certain leader or a certain program or whatever that we must have this. Yeah. And really who we're becoming, even if we get the thing we want, the damage we're doing to our hearts might be way more significant than political victory or defeat. Yeah, and, and usually you see, especially in the Old Testament with the reign of power and kings getting what they want isn't actually what they really want. Yeah, <laughs> it's right. not what they really need. Right, you could say it like right. that. Right. Um, and well, let, well, let's 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 talk about that because one of the things about this story that's interesting is that, and we'll get there towards the end of the story. You know, it, well, let's just say things don't go well as 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 Jotham predicts. Things don't go well. Yeah, he pronounces a he, curse. He pronounces a curse. 
Abimelech ends up, you know, finding out this. Some of the people, some of the people aren't going to be loyal. He fights against them. They fight back. He kills a bunch of them. Eventually, they kill him. Yeah. And that's how it ends. You and saw that, it coming. Yes, it was not hard <laughs> to see. And it wasn't very long. It, it was almost, there wasn't, yeah. Is it three years? It three yeah, years he reigned right. for three years. Yeah, he reigned so, for three years. So the whole the thing plays start, out in three yeah. years. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be bad. So at the end of Judges 9, then God repaid the wickedness that Abimelech had done to his father by murdering his 70 brothers. God also made the people of Shechem pay for all of their wickedness. The curse of Jotham, son of Jeroboam, came upon them. So they deserved each other. They got each other. They yeah. punished each other. Yeah. And but one of the things that we I think we notice in the story is I think that's the first and only time God is mentioned in the story that um, what is happening and what is often happening in Judges is like God's not a helicopter parent. This is what they want. Okay, I'm not going to. I'm not going to ride in and prevent you from doing this harmful thing. I'm going. You're you're yeah. adults. <laughs> you have agency. You're you're going to do it, and you know if if you know th- that God won't let them do something bad. Obviously, is not the case. He yeah. lets them, and this is what happens. So, is that surprising? Um, are we are we conflicted in what we got, want God to be? Well, I, I do think it it shatters uh, certain people's popular paradigms of who God is, um, especially you think, well, God's going to prevent me from doing anything that is going to be bad for me mm-hmm. because that's what God should do. Right. Like, um, how did you let this happen, God? Right. When it's been my, it's been 27 of my own choices in a row. Yes. And I'm in a, then I get to a really bad place and I'm like, God, how did this happen? I think if God's on the hook for stuff, we usually put him there. Yes. Like, oh, yeah. well, you're on the hook. You got to explain yourself for letting me do that um, as opposed to maybe vice versa. But it's surprising to me a, a little because that's not really, um, I, I say I internalized a version of God that was pretty controlling. Yeah. You know, growing yeah, up, I internalized right, right. that. Um, and you I step had a, out of line a little bit. Yeah. God's going to, the hammer's going to fall. You'll get sick. He'll judge you. You'll wreck a car. Or whatever. Right. I mean, you'll get a flat tire. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it didn't right. say all that necessarily. Right. Yeah. But um, that was what I internalized. And I had an emphasis on God's sovereignty. Yeah. Um, so God's always going to act and intervene and da, da, da. And there's a lot of health to that. I get that. So I'm not tossing that out. But God's sovereignty to me means that. He has entered into the realm of relating to creatures who have power and agency, and he submits into that realm. And that realm means um, if you so desire this, you're a free person. And I'm, you know... If you want Abimelech to be your king, I am not going to prevent it. If you want it bad enough... You see this, um, I think sometimes we think God's judgment is very dramatic, like we just described. Like, it'll be obvious because, you know, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll lose my job or something, that'll wake me up, and then I'll be like, oh, now it's God's judgment. But if in Romans 1, you see this phrase of the, the discipline of God upon people is very subtle. Mm-hmm. He just gets out of the way. I just get out of the way. And so it's really gracious of God to restrain the human heart and restrain desires. And this is kind of um, Reformation theology yeah. to, that 
yeah. the sinful heart's so fallen, it's grace right. that God restrains right. us from right. getting our The reality way. is he's, there is a common grace that keeps us from being our worst selves for now. Yes. Um, I do think partly, too, the way, we, the way we read the Bible often is we're attracted to the dramatic uh, stories and maybe the dramatic, the judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah, and we think that's how God deals with bad. Yeah. But of course, Sodom and Gomorrah were Sodom and Gomorrah for a long time before that happened. Right. And that's sort of what we're seeing in the book of Judges. We're seeing he, you know, he lets things play out. And part of that is his grace in allowing room for people to see the errors, the experience their own. Yeah. And then to repent. Well, it's like if, as a, as a practical point, if, yeah, it's good. If a parent is always rescuing the child, the child will never learn for themselves. Yeah. Right. They will not grow in the ability yeah. to choose yeah. right and wrong. Right. Yeah, one of the ways I know I need God is all the times I thought I didn't. Yes. <laughs> and, yes. And, and so I never, if I never experienced any mess from that, yeah. I really wouldn't learn the lesson of, no, I really am made. I really am made for God to be the one who's meeting my needs and no other. And of course, I forget that and I raise up the next to him, like whatever it is. But it is that sort of, like if unless he lets me do it, I don't actually. I'm like the child who never learns not to play in the turn lane. Yeah, and that's the very unloving. Yes, it's actually very unloving yeah. to um, to intervene so much that the child doesn't start to learn uh, the reality of consequences, mm-hmm. good or bad. Right. So yeah, I think it's a good point of the the patience of God to say, and yet, just as humanity here in Judges has turned south, they can turn north. Yep. And yet they right. could repent. Right. And yet, yeah. and yet, and he holds out. Yeah, I think that's something that we should remember as well, you know, uh, that why doesn't God fix the world? You know, why doesn't God step in? Why does God let this happen? Why mm-hmm. does God let the world be so broken? And it's really a different way of formulating that same question that, you know, Second Peter 3, that God is not slow in keeping his promise. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has his own timetable, but part of that is his graciousness, his patience, his patience with our waywardness and that we perhaps will be called back to him. Um, and again, that's the place of vulnerability. Am I willing to live in this place of this broken world, knowing that God sees the brokenness, that God's heart is broken, and yet live within this place of patience, knowing that often I need the patience as mm, well yeah um because it's very easy to be you know the get off my lawn christian shaking your <laughs> fist at the world right the old man right, the get right, off my right. lawn off shaking my, my lawn. fist and be sort of right i mean the world i mean you can shake your fist legitimately at a lot of things sure. but that's sort of the one of the lessons i think of the story is there's no external foe like i am the foe that I need to worry about is in my own heart, yeah. is in my own my own waywardness, my own sinfulness, and I shouldn't be shaking my fist at yeah. other people. That's really good. This is the new depravity in the book of Judges is now it's all self-destruction. Yes. It's self-imploding. Right. There's no um, foreign, I don't think there's right. any more foreign foes. They're all just devouring each other. Yeah. And that reminds me a little bit of Galatians, you know, mm-hmm. uh, the fruit of the spirit versus the, you know, deeds of the flesh and how people, c- we can devour ourselves and each other, um, we, you know, if we're left to our own devices. You know, your question of, you know, why doesn't God, you know, why, why is he allowing, you know, 
the world to go on mm-hmm. essentially right because you know there's evil and why doesn't he just intervene I think one of the answers is in the fable or the parable mm-hmm. by Jotham. And it, to me, it's incredible how he tells the story. The olive tree, the trees come to the trees, mm-hmm. different b- fruit bearing trees, and they, you know, rule over us, olive tree. No, I'm busy producing oil. Okay. Uh, rule over us, fig tree. No, I'm busy producing fruit. Okay. Rule over us vine no i'm busy producing wine and it's it's almost as if you see how distracted the people of god are at this time Mm -hmm. and all of these three uh fruit bearing trees were the most valuable in palestine at the time because they're doing something they're Mm -hmm. they're actually engaged in serving the people Mm -hmm. and it shows it's indicating how distracted the people are at the time that they're, we're just standing around like, who's going to rule over us? Well, they're, they should, well, they're not any good. Well, they mm-hmm. should, well, he's, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? It's like mm-hmm. this indication of God doing something, God's plan of doing something about injustice is the world is you and me. Yeah. Right. That's the plan right. to be, to be busy and fruitful, right. uh, serving the broken humanity. Mm-hmm. And then I'm not as worried. Like you said, you've grown less political. I wonder if it's mm-hmm. because you're, Okay, well, let's talk about the things that yeah. really need repair. Let's do some let's stuff do that's near at hand, um, or that's something that I can be faithful to, that God is actually calling me to. That, um, you know, I do think, you know, voting is important and such, uh, but I'm mostly accountable to God for f- 57 million other things. Mm-hmm that he's calling me to do. And this right? is why it's called rogue tape. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the thing where that's, it's not just getting it right. It's not just getting my, not only my politics right, it's not just getting my theology right. It's not just getting things right. It's better to be slightly wrong, but to be moving in the direction Come on. of mission. Come on. Because we're never totally right. Come that's on. That's an illusion anyway. And I think that's the, th- I'm going to stand before the Lord for that. Yep. He's not going to, you know, he's not going to give me a test. He's not going to give me a purity test in, in politics, theology, whatever it is. Um, and not, obviously, not to diminish either of those things, but all of those things serve something else. You know, how am I in the mission of God and how am I part of, how is my own heart being yep. redeemed and transformed? How am I part of the redemption and transform, transformation of the, of the people around us? How am I functioning as a member of my you know, body of Christ with my brothers and sisters? That's the stuff mm-hmm. that, that, you know, yep. the rest of the Bible is all the New Testament focuses on. That's the thing that, and that's plenty. Yeah, it's a that's lot. That's more than there's plenty. plenty to do. Yeah, um, and there's plenty to engage in. And, and and almost the contrast here reminds me of the opening of the Lord of the Rings films, right? When they're talking about the rings that have been mm-hmm. made, and nine were given to the race of men, mm-hmm. and then there's the kind of the haunting phrase, "Who above all else desire power?" Yeah. So there's this contrast between people, the trees who are busy producing fruit are actually using their power to repair something, mm-hmm. to doing serve, stuff. to fix yeah. something, yeah. as opposed to we need to have power for power's sake. Yeah. We need to have power yeah. over people as yeah. opposed to power to serve people. Yeah. So instead of worrying about that, what's my fruit? What, what fruit is God asking me to bear and what does that look like? Um, so let me think, okay, let's talk about then what is our attitude towards 
religion. We've already tackled politics, and now let's tackle religion. Um, <laughs> what else should we dive yeah, into? Right. <laughs> um, sex will be next week, probably. Okay. Anyway, politics, um, religion, yeah. <laughs> sex, end times. So, do we? Is one of the Abimelechs? We is Jesus one of the Abimelechs we are, we want to raise up? Do we want Jesus to be our Abimelech? I'm just a simple man. You're going to have to explain the question. <laughs> so Abimelech was the guy that got them what they wanted. Okay. All right. And they were, you know, whatever that, whatever that meant, that's what they wanted. And can we say, okay, no, I'm not, I really, you know, what I want is Jesus. But what we really mean is Jesus who gives me peace, gives me the promotion, prosperity, you know, makes my life smooth, you know, mm. nothing bad happens to mm. my family. Mm-hmm. Um, all of this stuff that I sort of associate with, mm-hmm. like you said, keeps the flat tires away. Like right. all the stuff that, you know, I want G- Jesus's job is to, you know, in a sense, serve me as a good Congress, you know, get me what he might, and I'm the constituent. And do we, I think in our culture, it's almost difficult to avoid putting Jesus up as like Abimelech couldn't really get them what they wanted, but Jesus can get yeah. you what you want. Yeah. Yeah. So I need a God who will, uh, so it reminds me of, uh, a quote by, um, uh, kind of a neo-Orthodox, uh, not kind of, but a neo-Orthodox theologian, Karl Barth, who said, when we talk about God, we're talking about ourselves with a megaphone. Mm-hmm. And it's an overstatement, mm-hmm. but I think there's a lot of truth to it. And the point is, my version of Jesus is, yeah, like you're talking about some version of Abimelech where it's going to be impossible for me not to view Jesus as some uh, white male who lives in suburbia mm-hmm. because that's who I am. Right. And that's how I view the right. world. And that's how I was conditioned. Right. Whose theology matches mine. Whose theology Who's, matches right. Who wants what I want. Right. Wants Obviously, want. God's on yeah. my side. I right. remember you said this to me a long time ago, and it always stuck with me as things you say yeah. <laughs> do to people. Um, you said God's not on a side. Yeah. God is a side. Yeah. But yeah. to me, it also even comes back to the political realm of like, we, we, or me, I project God's going to accomplish what I want him to accomplish because I'm right. Right. He's on yeah. my side. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So we, we, we set him up as the vehicle, you know, and that God's not on, uh, on uh, my side or a side. He is a side. That kind of comes from that, the story where, you know, the angel of the Lord visits and uh, they're going to cross, you know, Joshua's going to cross the the, oh, the yeah. Jordan, yeah. basically. Who are you fighting for? Who are you fighting for? <laughs> and the angel of the Lord said, I, I'm the angel of the Lord. Yeah, <laughs> such a good, <laughs> good answer. <laughs> That's the deal. You know, I'm not on anybody's side. It's what, you know, are you going to come to me um, and, w- and whatever that, that, that takes? I do think that for us, it's hard. And that's the kind of, what is Gideon's question from last week? Pardon me, Lord. Yeah. But if the Lord was with us, obviously all of these bad things wouldn't wouldn't be happening. Um, and so I think that's again, what do I am I am I seeking God for God's sake and being vulnerable and honest uh, in the process? Yeah. And will I? Because the reality is, Jesus is the virtual opposite of Abimelech in every way. Um, you know, he doesn't hmm. right. He dies mm-hmm. to 
in a sense, earn the right to be our king, even though he always had the right. He yeah. dies to be, um, and he doesn't actually lord it over or whatever. And and almost we'd rather have the strong man sometimes. Well, we I think it took me a long time to learn this, and I don't know if I fully grasp it, that God is shy with his power. Mm-hmm. I think that's true, that we, we want a Jesus who's not shy with his power, like, do something now, you're the king. And Jesus shows up as a humble king on a donkey, not on a war horse. Right. And he's right. in for the long game. Yeah. And, and disappointed people in the process. Disappointed people. It, it, it brings to mind, thinking of Abimelech and Jesus, the large question from the book of Judges is, what is God going to do about the condition of the human heart? Mm-hmm. Because it's gotten here, it's so bad. And how can the human heart be purified? Right. And this is what Jesus is about, purifying mm-hmm. hearts right. that can lead to purified yes. systems. Right. Um, first and foremost, for me, purifying my heart. Uh, you know, I said I project onto God who I think he is. I think we do. But God has a twofold healing process in mind with his rescue mission. On a personal scale, it's my self-perception needs to be healed the way I see myself mm-hmm. in relationship to God and my God perception needs mm-hmm. to be healed that he's not an Abimelech to give me what I want, but right. he's also not an Abimelech to Lord his right. power over me. Right. But I would probably choose both of those at first because I don't really I, know. I, yeah. I choose one and assume yeah, the other. Right. right. Yeah. Um, I think that, uh, for, uh, you know, part of the, part of the whole Old Testament, really, when you talk about the book of Judges and what it shows us, the whole Old Testament shows us that God gives us all sorts of opportunity to demonstrate that without him, we're sunk. Mm -hmm. And we do that. We demonstrate it over and over and over again. And, you know, that's that's what happens here. Um, I think that the, the idea that we actually have a king, like... You know, Bimelech means my daddy's the king Mm -hmm. and our daddy is the king. Um, And we don't have to do anything to make that happen. We can just be his subjects. Mm. We've already got, we've already got the thing that's the most valuable, the most permanent, the most everything that's good. And that except we want that sometimes to get us something else. Mm -hmm. Like I want the trappings of, Mm -hmm. Uh, and all the trappings will come eventually uh but can i be satisfied with just no my daddy is the king yeah and i can just live in this place and just rest in that and and be dependent on him and be vulnerable and weep at the brokenness of the world and be faithful on mission and wait for him to come you know is that can i just do that or do i want to make something else happen right right and i think that's to come full circle um my father's the, our father's the king and he doesn't have to flaunt that. So I don't have to flaunt that Mm -hmm. and I don't have to be anxious about that. So therefore all of the musts I must have that Mm -hmm. I've set up, I don't, they don't have to be musts anymore. Right. Yeah. And I can be open to, I may not get that. Mm -hmm. I may not ever get that. I I long for that. Mm -hmm. I long for this type of relationship Mm -hmm. or to be this type of parent Mm -hmm. that may never happen. Can I live in the state of that? Well, it's just that as we, as we draw to a close, it makes me think, I don't know if you listen, do you ever listen to these podcasts, Chad? 
I'm so offended that you asked the question. (laughs) So offended. I was listening to our last (laughs) podcast because you know you you gotta you you want to we want to kind of figure out. I mean, is this work working? Do we need to change anything? How do I sound? Do I do I do I I prattle on too long? Do I deepen my voice? (laughs) But I thought that's yeah, that sounds really good. It's too bad I don't live that way. (laughs) Oh yes, absolutely. And that's sort of the the curse of any sort of Bible teacher is you can understand it and see it and formulate it. Yeah. It's too bad. I don't live that way. I'm so glad you said that. That is every, every preacher teacher dilemma. I'm holding up to you a call that I myself am not living up. Of course. Anybody who knows me already knows that, but some of you don't. So, um, yeah, this is something that we, you know, God is speaking to us along with you. And uh, we're imperfect practitioners, and yet we're brothers and sisters in Christ, and we are to hold one another up and build one another up and bear with one another uh, in this process. And uh, we will keep doing that. And so with that, I don't have a closing. Our Father's King. Our Father's King. (laughs) Yes. We'll end with that. Our Daddy's the King. Have a great week. Thanks for listening to Rogue Table Talks, a Calvary Church Media Productions podcast. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts.